All right, so uh, great, great chapter after uh, we have seen in chapter 8 the coming of uh, the future uh, Grecian Empire primarily and uh, how that would uh, come about, the vision with the, the ram and the goat, and then uh, at, the, uh, uh, at the end, uh, a really uh, bad guy that we saw in chapter 7, uh, Antiochus, Epiphanes, and all of that. So we see that. Now Daniel is concerned about the future of his people. He's concerned about uh, what is going to happen. And he has read the book of Jeremiah, uh, which is just shocking because uh, Jeremiah uh, hadn't written that long ago. And he had copies of his writings. And so in reading it, he's aware, obviously, that God is going to, uh, had promised to bring Israel back out of captivity. But his concern is, how is this going to work? And what's the restoration going to look like? And so that's what we're looking at in chapter 9. The first 23 verses deal with his prayer. And then the part that uh, really uh, causes people uh, consternation is the last few verses, 24 through 27. So what I'd like to do here is we'll, we're just going to walk down through this prayer. I'm going to read the prayer. You read it with me. And as you see things, note things in, as, as you read the prayer, note things that you think is, is really interesting and, uh, and things that, that we ought to um, keep in mind, especially for our own prayer life and just seeing how Daniel prays. One of the great prayers uh, of the Bible. I don't think Drew covered this prayer, did he, when he did? Thing? I, don't, I don't think he did. Okay. All right. So Daniel 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent, a maid who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So let me stop right there. What year would that be? First year of Darius. Pardon? 539. Thank you. <laughs> 539. So Babylon falls 539. Uh, then in 536, Cyrus will give the decree for Israel to be able to come back out of captivity and, and all nations, as a matter of fact. He gives a decree allowing all nations to return from captivity. And, uh, and so those dates are, are, are important there. Uh, the captivity for Israel uh, began, or for Judah especially, began in what year? 605, that's right, about 605 B.C., and then Cyrus is going to give the decree so they can come out in 536. So there's your 70-year period, just as God had, uh, had predicted. All right? So that's where we are, about three years away from Cyrus giving that decree. All right, so verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. 
I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in the na your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entered, entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins, for the iniquities of our fathers, Jer Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, our God, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for, what, for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. All right, you should have noticed a whole bunch of things there that are unique about his prayer, uh, good examples for us, but also just in the circumstances, a lot of information that you, you can learn then from the prayer. So somebody start us off and tell us, uh, tell us some of the things that you thought were uh, uh, critical in understanding uh, Daniel's prayer and, and things that we need to point out and notice. Yes. I noticed the admission of guilt and the, you know, remembrance that they've done wrong. 
Yes. So this is truly a confessory prayer. He 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 is laying out the sins of of uh, the nation and to God, and uh, he he truly is seeking uh, for God's forgiveness and mercy. So he this is this is a great example, by the way, of confession prayer. You notice the details he gives. He says, "You gave your commandments and rules, and we ignored them. We didn't follow them. Your prophets are revealed at all that." Good. Right. He never tries to justify himself. He, and he never tries to justify the nation. Uh, you notice he doesn't say a word about the terrible Babylonians or the Persians or, or all that they've gone through. As, as anybody's fault but their own. He, he admits that completely. And that's a great point. Based on what we know about Daniel It doesn't seem that he actually may have done any of these things. Yeah. He's, he is taking on the part of confessor for all of them. For the whole Asking for mercy and, right. and confessing for even, for things that it doesn't seem likely that he, he may have done himself. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. He, he, he takes on almost like a, uh, a high priest position and confesses for the people. Of course, um, you know, he throws himself in. It's not like he's been perfect or anything, and, and we really don't know for sure. wonder what Daniel was like before he was taken into captivity. He was in one of the higher positions. Maybe he was acting out, and who knows? And then this incident wakes him up. You know, obviously, we're not told those things, and Daniel is considered one of the greats. But one, one of the reasons Daniel is considered one of the greats as far as faithfulness is this kind of attitude. Note the absolute humility here. No justification whatsoever of himself or anybody else. Scott. One of the things that strikes me is, is I think back to the other prophets, uh, you know, particularly Jeremiah, the people just kept insisting upon their righteousness, that they were actually keeping yeah. the law, that they weren't, you know, we're, we're not doing anything wrong. And you know, that is so easy to say, you know, that as long as your cities are standing, you know, to justify whatever it is that yeah. you're doing, that we're not committing sin. But now, 70 years have almost passed, and and their cities lie in ruin, and, and it's plain. And I think, I think about our current culture, and uh, particularly current Christian culture, that is veering so far away from, um, you know, veering so far away from God's law. It's so easy to justify so many things, just like yeah. keep taking one step, one more step, one more step, as long as our cities are standing. Yeah, yeah, and good, then good point. It all crumbles down, and then at some point, it's like, man, all that pride is gone. We need God to do that, yeah. to humiliate us. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's very true. It should have really awakened the people um, and the people of the nation and the people that are in captivity. Good observation. He always, you are righteous, God. We are not righteous. You just keep seeing that that contrast. Good, Chip. I, I think the timing of this chapter, in, in respect to what's already happened again, I kind of thought of where Scott was going. The first one he said, Jeremiah. This comes only a, a year or so after God's finger writing on the wall. <laughs> yes. That Nebuchadnezzar ran away. Right. And it does. And in chapter 6, that's chapter 5. Chapter 6 is when Daniel is under Darius and he gets thrown into the lion's den. That is like just 
chest out. Within the last year of him writing this, and now he's read some of Jeremiah's writings, and I think he's seeing the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecies coming to pass. It's yeah. that year. Yeah. And so he says this prayer that, yeah. you know, God, this is your will. It will be fulfilled. You are a promise keeper. You're called by our name. That's right. Yeah. That, and that is, I, that, I noticed that, in fact, throughout. Uh, you'll notice in verse 17. Uh, his, you know, listen to our pleas of mercy for your own sake. That is so critical. You know, this is not, you know, just, it's, it's a little of us. Please save us. You know, we understand we have profaned your name. And for your sake please. God. Very similar, by the way, the wording very similar to Moses when he intercedes for Israel when the idolatry was going on with the golden calf, remember? Very similar kind of prayer. God, we don't want you to look bad here. Uh, and and that, uh, that, that is critical. And of course, that's critical for us today. Ephesians begins with everything that God's doing for us is the praise of his glory. Ezekiel 36 told us about that as well and connected that. So very, very, very good timing, uh, as Chip said, is, is, is really unique here. All right? Somebody else? What else do you see in this prayer? I thought that's so good, David Lee, because the, the this is such a I, I, verse thirteen is shocking to me. We are we are almost seventy years into this captivity with three carryings away into captivity. The people are the the the, the city is gone. The nation is gone. There is no nation. The people are in captivity and all that. They've been that way all these years. And he says. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. We still haven't straightened up. Now, what, what prophet are you going to read to confirm that? Ezekiel. Ezekiel. That's exactly right. Ezekiel just blows them up. You're here in captivity and you haven't changed. He just lays them out. It's so sad to see that kind of thing that even with this terrible punishment, it really gives you an idea of the danger of a calloused heart. You just get so ingrained in, in what you want to do and, and your heart and mind get defiled. Rob and I were talking about that uh, today, just the de defilement that people have where it just, it's like nothing is going to affect them and change them. No matter how bad it is, they're going to still just, just be uh, completely impure in their heart. Titus, Paul said in Titus, uh, book of Titus, to the impure, all things are impure. <laughs> Brian. By this point, too, most of the people who were taken captive, captive, they were probably dead, and these were 
their children. Yeah. They just, they just yeah. So many of them would have been dead by this time. There were still some alive. We know that when we, when we read. Yeah, when we read Ezra, because in Ezra, when the temple is, the foundation of the temple is, is laid, uh, the people who had seen the old temple began to weep because they saw how junky it was <laughs> compared to the old temple. Brian makes me think that um, a whole generation has now become exactly what the Babylonians wanted, what Nebuchadnezzar wanted, and that was for those people to become located in their society. They became embedded. They did. And they came, became, if you will, converted. To the way of life in Babylonia so much so that when the decree comes from Cyrus for people to leave, very few of them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Do you realize that when they come back, when the, when the group comes back in 536, 535, that, that exodus, there's only about 50,000 that return to Jerusalem? That's astounding. <laughs> and, by the way, Ban, by the way, when we hit, get into Esther on Wednesday nights after the first of the year, you're going to see that. That's when you read Esther in a different light. You're seeing it from the standpoint of people who the whole book never mentions Jerusalem never mentions anything about God's promises, never mentions anything about holiness or righteousness. You're seeing a people that truly have gotten themselves embedded in the culture of the time. It's, it's very, very unique uh, when you see it from that perspective. Yeah, would you say something else? I was just going to say, it's, it's a, an Old Testament example of what Jesus teaches when he says that broad is the way compared to narrow. Yeah. Um, and few that will be that will find it. Um, here's, a, here's, here's a living example, or an Old Testament yeah. historical example of people having a choice and taking the broad way, and the majority of them do, right. and very few of them, the remnant, return to God. And if that's not a symbol of what it takes to return to God, yeah. repent and change. And when you think of, you, you bring up such a neat, neat point, because when you think about what it would have taken to return, I mean, consider that. You've, you've built houses, just as Jeremiah told you to. You've built houses, you've settled down because you're not returning anytime soon, and yet 70 years later, You've built houses. <laughs> you've got a nice place. You've got a job. You've got all this to uproot and say, hey, we're going to go on a four-month caravan uh, to Jerusalem, not knowing what we're, what's going to be involved in that in a city where there is no walls and there is no houses. And there is no anything. And we're going to start fresh. Whoo. You know, I think I'll sit around here with my three kids and <laughs> whatever and just uh, take it easy. There you go. Very something, Cherry. I kind of get the feeling in verse 16, he feels embarrassed uh, because they have become a reproach to all that was about us. And yeah. like the reputation, and he's, he's embarrassed over that also. Yes. That's right. We've become a byword. Who, who prophesied they'd become a byword? Okay. Look at verse 11. Remember the chapter in Deuteronomy that listed the blessings and curses on Israel if they didn't obey? 14 verses of blessings and about 50 verses of curses <laughs> that were going to happen. And one of those was you're going to be kind of a byword uh, to all nations. And everything that has happened to them... 
as, as Daniel said, you said it would happen back in Deuteronomy 28. And it's all happened just as you said it would happen. Indeed. And Deuteronomy 30 is interesting just because he says, and when you come to your senses and you want to seek me, you can come back. And he urges them to think about that. And yet look how few did, even though Moses had said that. So really, really um, uh, very, very specific as Daniel is quite aware of the scriptures about this. Uh, something else about the prayer itself. He does. He, he lumps himself in with it. He's, he always uses we. He never goes, you, they, all that. You know, he, 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 he puts that, that right in there. Exactly. Uh, notice his appeal is for what? What's his primary appeal? Compassion and forgiveness. Forgot passion, forgiveness, mercy. Mercy is what he's looking. You see it in verse 9, verse 14, verse 18. He's constantly emphasizing that. Uh, here, here's a couple of quotes I want to give you that I read uh, today that I thought were valuable for us. Uh, John Owen, a uh, 17th century Puritan writer, said, What an individual is in secret on his knees before God, that he is and no more. Now, then another guy, um, Sinclair Fergus, wrote this in follow-up. In public, we may successfully disguise the truth about ourselves, but not in private prayer or the lack of it. And he just expresses, you know, here, here is who Daniel really is. This is, we're, 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 we're getting on an insight of who he is behind the scenes, not a public prayer behind the scenes of who he really is. And, and that's really true of us. Uh, who are you when it is in private? Who are you when you're talking to God in private? That's who you really are. Uh, and it's not who you are. If it's not who you are in public too, then you have a problem. And uh, I thought that was a, a very, very good quote. <clears throat> okay. Uh, anything else on this? All right. Let's look at these uh, last, uh, the, the, the verses just leading up then to verse 24. Uh, <clears throat> he says in verse 20, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me, saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. All right, what impresses you there? <laughs> we got the famous Gabriel, don't we? <laughs> I, I always read something like that and I go, wait a minute, how old are you, Gabriel? <laughs> He's the one who appeared to Zacharias and Elizabeth and Mary in the book of Luke. And you, you say, wow, this guy's been around for a while. Very good. Austin. Because they, the word.
word went out when he began his 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 pleas. It yeah. gives the impression that God is just is waiting yes. to give them give this to them. I love waiting it. Waiting for this plea from them. Okay, now they're giving it. Now I'm going to my Yeah, I, I love it. You know, the, the, sometimes the Lord delays for His reasons, and then sometimes like this, He's just going ask. Come on ask. And you see that. You see God pleading with people, by the way, in the book of Isaiah a number of times where he's saying, if you just ask, I'm ready. I'm ready to come right now. I'm going to come to your, just please, just humble yourself and ask. And so you see that uh, attitude here. Look at the swiftness of it. Yeah, go ahead, Belinda. Yeah, he flew. Yeah. Now don't get the idea an angel has wings just because he flew, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, anyway, uh, <laughs> all these movies, you know, where you, like, what's that, that uh, Christmas uh, thing where you get, the guy has to get his wings, you know, that's right, that's right. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, yeah, that, that, there's that, uh, that beautiful picture. So this, this instant um, uh, answer where God is eager to answer his prayer. And when you think about it now, this is where we've got to step back and go, okay, what really is his request? What is he looking for? He's obviously looking for restoration. I want to know, I want, I want restoration, I want to know about the, with God's answer, you're seeing God's answer is answering the question of what's going to happen to the people? What's going to happen after this? Are you going to really bring us back? And what are you going to do? How are we going to fare? It's those sorts of questions that you can imagine are in Daniel's mind because God's going to answer those questions over a period of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years he's going to go into the future in just these four verses here. All right, Scott. I just noticed, uh, he says that in verse 20 that this was while he was presenting his plea before the Lord, my God, for the holy hill of my God. And you go back and look at the prayer, and sure enough, you know, like verse 17, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. And one of the things that Daniel is concerned about is he's concerned about the name of God, but particularly the name of God because of, like, it is, is magnified through the city of God. He knows, like Psalm 2, God has planned to set his king on Zion, his holy hill. hill. That is the seat. You know, he views Jerusalem that God's holy mountain as, as the place by which God's justice is going to go out to the nations, that God's king is going to end up ruling, you know, from, from Zion to, to, to crush the rebellion. And so as long as Zion is in rubble, it's just like, well, mm -hmm. your, your plan to rule to the ends of the earth, it's, it's stagnated. Yeah. You know? yeah. And as we read in Psalm 2, you're, you're therefore seeing God make an answer but the answer isn't really for the physical sanctuary. The answer is going to be for God's messianic fulfillment in the great sanctuary, the great people of God that he's going to produce uh, out of that. And so that's, uh, that, that's an interesting uh, uh, note there to, to see the direction. Okay? Anything else before we get into 24 through 27? Yeah. Yes. 
adhere to the prayers of the righteous. Right. He's obviously inclined to that. Exactly. And it says something about the, I think Peter's trying to say something, and this is an illustration of that principle that God hears. He's already waiting yeah. to hear from the righteous. Although Daniel thought of himself as a sinner, God saw him as righteous. And what would make him righteous from what we know from the scripture? And God's steadfast love that he's mentioned here, exactly. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's really cool to think of that way. Do you think of your prayers that way? Do you think of when your prayer starts out of your mouth, that God immediately is listening? God immediately is excited about sending an answer and how he's going to come to your rescue, whatever, uh, that that might entail. Uh, it, it's, it's a different way of getting yourself ready for prayer and a different way of thinking about prayer instead of maybe seeing yourself at a distance from God and you utter the prayer and you kind of go, well, I hope he gets around to that, you know, like maybe Santa Claus will come. <laughs> instead of really understanding the heart of God. And notice those words to Daniel, for you are greatly loved. Are you greatly loved? course. Hard for us sometimes to think in those terms. But you're greatly loved. Why? Because of God's steadfast love and because of your response to God of humbling yourself and understanding your need for him and always being poor in spirit in his presence. Blessed are those. You're greatly loved. Super, super beautiful prayer. I think it's just something we need to go over and over. Uh, I hope you, uh, a ton of years ago when I first read this, uh, and Nehemiah 9 as well, those were two tremendous confessory prayers. And, and it really urged me to be more specific about uh, prayer with God and confession with God and, and really being real with God. Uh, the tendency is sometimes is, if I did something wrong, maybe if I don't confess it to him, he won't notice. <laughs> you know, it's like, like, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to, to bring it up to him, and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, maybe if I don't say anything, he'll just uh, go, did something happen? Maybe not. You know, obviously, foolish. <clears throat> you know what you said about the beginning of, your, of our prayers, how many times we approach God with an expectation that he's listening, and he will hear our prayers. I think that comes to the attitude of the that he wasn't asking for himself. No. He was selfless in his prayer and basically saying, God, you're good with God, that's yeah. nice. And so I think that is a great difficulty for me to approach God. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. Am I asking for selfish reasons? Yes. Maybe not as inclined. Yeah. But am I asking for his? His cause. And so are sure. we asking how to be clear to me what we want yeah. him to do? Yeah. Good point. Good point. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, and that's uh, that's that's very very important here. Um, seeking that uh, for him. 
Good, good. All right, let's look at 24 <coughs> through 27. And he says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Okay, what? Your people and your holy city. And now we're going to look at six things he's going to mention. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, or many versions, prophecy, seal vision and prophecy, and to anoint a most holy place, or as many side notes, uh, footnotes will point out, and other versions, could be holy place, could be holy one, could be holy. It's not in the Hebrew, there's not, a, not an end on that. To anoint uh, some of the older versions, the most holy, maybe referring to the Messiah. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and to build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one. Okay, when the word go out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, what year? You haven't forgotten since the beginning of the class, have you? It's 35 minutes. 536, okay. 536, the word went out to restore to the coming of the anointed one, a prince. There shall be seven weeks, and ESV is a weird translation. None of the other translators do this. Um, the, uh, all the other translations, I'm a New American Standard Version here. Um, so you should know and understand that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, anointed Messiah, same word, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks will be built again with streets and moat even in times of distress. So seven weeks and 62 weeks. So you got 69 weeks there uh, that are uh, up to this, and then there's going to be a 70th week. Verse 26, then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah, or the anointed, will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come the one who makes desolate until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, gushes forth, numeric center, gushes forth on the one who makes desolate. All right, so he starts with six things that are going to take place uh, for the, the holy people and your city. Seventy weeks are decreed to have, have this happen. Finishing up transgression, end of sin, atone iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and anointing the most holy or most holy place. All right, so that, those are not too terrible, diff terribly difficult to recognize. Uh, finish the transgression and put an end to sin. It's changing people. People are going to be different. Um, question would be, are we talking end of sin altogether so that we transfer all the way to end of time? Um, 
certainly book of Revelation is going to take us all the way to that period of time. And so there would be a possibility there, or he's just referring to this section when the Messiah comes. People, his people are going to stop rebelling. They're going to stop rebelling and there's going to be forgiveness, per atonement that's going to be given for, in, for iniquity, which then ends the practice of sin. And then everlasting righteousness is brought in. How long? <laughs> everlasting righteousness. Of course, you read in Romans, you have God declaring us righteous on the basis of the faithfulness of Jesus, sealing up vision and prophecy. Okay, sealing up vision and prophecy. Maybe looking at the ultimate fulfillment of everything that the prophets have talked about, which, if that's so, we would lead all the way up to the restoration of all things, as Peter talks about, that all the prophets foretold, First uh, Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 through 21, the heaven will receive him until, when Jesus returns, until the restoration of all things. We're still looking for that. Kind of interesting to think in terms of, I don't know, I grew up thinking that all prophecy has been fulfilled. And yet then Peter comes along and goes, well, really not quite. <laughs> There's some more <laughs> that's going to happen. We're looking for and part of helping the restoration of all things. The apostles even asked that question in Acts 1. All right. And then uh, anointing the most holy. Maybe see on vision and prophecy, by the way, is there's not going to be any more prophets giving prophecy. By the way, I meant to mention that too. And, uh, and then anointing the most holy whether the most holy place or the Messiah. Okay, then verse 25, know therefore and understand the going forth of that to restore and build Jerusalem and etc., etc. We're going to have seven weeks and 62 weeks into verse 25, but in troubled time. Okay, when Israel comes back out in 536, what kind of trouble do they run into? Yeah. Yeah, all the local trouble. How long does it take them to get the temple rebuilt? Well, they get thwarted, they give up. It's not until 20 years later in 516 that it's actually completed, though the foundation was laid pretty rapidly. How things go when uh, Nehemiah came back to build the walls? Same thing, all kinds of problems. So he says, yet in troubled time, this is not going to be an easy period of time. And you could take that all the way up to the time of Christ. Lots of troubled time. We already saw that in chapter 8. Lots of troubled time uh, during that. Okay? And chapter 11, he's going to show us even more. All right, and then he says, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one will be cut off and shall have nothing. All right, so here's the Messiah being cut off. And, and, and the newer version says he shall have nothing. Uh, the older version said, uh, King James, New King James said, yet not for himself. Uh, I looked that up everywhere, and every uh, uh, modern Greek Hebrew authority, as far as looking at the manuscripts, most everybody says you, you can't defend that. You can't defend that translation. It's true. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for others. It's a nice way to look at it. Uh, but it seems like he, hap it, he did it, and, and nothing seemed in the beginning to come out of it. It's like it looked like defeat maybe the idea in that uh, text. At any rate, and then the people, the prince who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. 
The prince who is to come? Who's that? Going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. Yeah, I mean the Roman Empire, Roman emperors at that time. They're going to come and they're going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. We know the date of that, 70 AD. Jesus promised that when he uh, uh, gives his dissertation in Matthew 24. And notice its end shall come with a flood that is just like overwhelming. It's just going to absolutely wipe them out. And to the end, there shall be war. If you read Josephus, he'll talk about the wars that Rome and, and Israel went through during this period of time. Very extensive in his uh, writings there. And uh, desolations are decreed. So you're done, Israel. Desolations are decreed. You're going to be, you're done. And then he's going to make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of that week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. So in the immediate, when you're looking at the destruction of Jerusalem, he make, God's making a covenant with who? For one week. With Rome. That's all he's doing. He's making a covenant with Rome. I choose you to be my my, my, uh, my paddle uh, to punish my people. A uh, very similar thing to Isaiah uh, chapter 10 verse 7 where he says that Assyria is the rod of his anger in which he's going to punish his own people. So here, uh, same, same kind of thing. He's making a covenant with him. Halfway through the week, he, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering. I just see that as Jerusalem's beginning to fall. Uh, they're, they're, they're starving to death. They were seven months uh, with uh, the Romans surrounding them until they were eating shoe leather. Uh, and so no more sacrifice offering. That all comes to an end and has forevermore, by the way. And then on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate. Who's, who talked about that in the New Testament? Okay, Jesus, Matthew 24, verse 15. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not, parentheses, Matthew adds, let the reader understand, <laughs> spoken of by Daniel the prophet, he makes direct reference to Rome as being the abomination he carried, Rome carried the, the flag of idolatry and they're going to come into the city and, you know, they're going to surround the city. They're standing in the holy place. When you see that, you need to flee to the mountains because your desolation is near. And then, what's those last words? Until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Who's the desolator in the immediate sense here? Again, it's Rome, right? So, just as God took Assyria to punish Israel and then destroyed Israel, I mean Assyria, and he took Babylon to destroy Judah and then destroyed Babylon, uh, all of those things, so now he's using Rome to destroy his people, and then he's going to destroy the desolator. Now, when we, we get to Revelation, and Scott and I were talking about this earlier, uh, when we get to Revelation, we're, we're going to see that principle played out, but we're also going to see the concept of that principle is, is, is repeated a lot of times. And, and, and it's not that, okay, well, that's all done in the past. Revelation is very up-to-date. 
It is going to remind us of how God operates and, uh, and that uh, uh, many times we are going to go through suffering, though innocent, we are going to oftentimes go through suffering, as the book of Hebrews would say, in order to get to glory. All right? You guys did great tonight, and uh, hope you uh, got ready for that. Next Wednesday, Lord willing, uh, we will look at the Daniels, as it's titled here, Terrifying Vision of a Man. And so we not, uh, we'll get to that next vision now that gets more into uh, the, the years to come after Daniel.